Are you really going to let him win? Well, not if I can help it, but I don't know what else to do, Gary. I'm supposed to have a meeting in a bit about the Christmas markets, but I'm not feeling very festive. Oh, and that Len Cameron's going to be there, and all. he's the last thing I need today. Who's that? Are you serious? Hmm? Len. The counsellor who goes out of his way to wind me up. The one who went to the papers about Sally peeing in street. Ah, P-gate, Len. Got you. Yeah, yeah. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 233 of The Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that is sure that the best things in the show typically happen when Bernie is having a nap. I'm Gavin. And I also don't know how to curtsy. <laughs> I do. Actually, that's a lie. I had a very southern grandma, so of course I knew how to curtsy. How's your uh, southern accent coming along? <laughs> oh, okay. I can, cur- I can However, curtsy with the best of them. However, it's just you point your arse at the ground, isn't it? However, if, you know, I learned 10 minutes before we got to lunch that the Queen was going to be there, I would also have been shitting myself and forgetting everything I ever knew about anything. Would you? I'd have, I'd have taken it in my stride. <laughs> like, well, let her worry. That's what I'd have said. Yeah, yeah. Context is everything, people. <sighs> Context is everything. How are you this week? I am. I'm, I'm frazzled. Like a frazzle. I am frazzled. My favourite bacon-flavoured corn snack. It is. It is the holiday season and there's so much to do. I'm halfway done with with decorating. And, you know, our daughter just decided to bring two Fred's home yesterday with the living room. Still kind of a mess. And me in a towel. Mm. Mistaking her, her, her female bestie for Benny in the shadows watching the... Netherlands lose to Argentina and well, let's just I say that you just come out the shower you weren't just walking about the house in the towel no just because no, yeah I just come out of the there's shower there's that context that you're yes. talking about <laughs> and I had to hem pants this week oh. for the concert and then like during the day on Friday Steli texts me and says I need I need men's dress shoes for the concert tonight and i said you are not fucking getting men's dress shoes <laughs> it is one thing to hand me pants and say i need these you know on a monday and say i need these hemmed by friday it's another thing with less than 24 hours to go to expect me to run out to a shoe store and right, she'll let you do it she'll let you do it so she wore she wore la- she wore flats mm-hmm. glittery flats you know it was a little bit of her personality tucked under her pants. There you go. Ah, uh, and at least all the presents are bought. I just need to wrap. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the penultimate podcast that we do here this year. Yes. Because then we've got the Christmas Eve one. That right. We will be in Connecticut. And then we've got New Year's Eve that we're all still be in Connecticut. Yeah. So I guess we're doing hotel ones again. Or we just. Forget about it. Can't can't not do the Christmas Corey. Ah, <laughs> I suppose. 
Remember, I got those little lapel you mics did. that I thought we could maybe just record an episode as we're driving about. Right. We might end up doing that. <laughs> or we might end up doing absolutely nothing. Right. Who knows? Remember that time we brought equipment with us because we were going to yeah, record podcast? Summer. Yeah, in the summertime. And then we just didn't. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be as pushed for time That's at true. Christmas as we were in the, the summer. We don't have an awful, an awful lot of spare time for no. watching Corey, never mind talking about it. Right. So, we'll see. Yeah, we had far more interesting things to do. That's right. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, oh, not sorry. Oh, 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 oh. An exciting news in this week's episode that at the end, after we've talked about Coronation Street and stuff, we've got an interview with Darren Hilbert. Coming oh, up. I'd forgotten all about that. That's this week. That's this week. So hang around yes. at the end for a lovely chat between me and Darren. Yes, yes. I was not there because I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to buy Christmas presents and stuff. I covered for you. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, well. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that chatty Corey news. I'm also fine, by the way. <laughs> I thought you were going to say decapitated, Corey Lewis. <laughs> Sally Denever and Sue Devaney went on Loose Women this week to speak on dealing with menopause in the workplace and want to start a support group. They they seem to have already started one on WhatsApp for for the women of Corey to you know help each other out and, and build awareness about, you know, some of the some of the stuff that goes on during menopause that you might think you're just going crazy and you and you don't recognize as 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 a symptom of it. So that's good on them. You know, not there's really not enough speaking of women's health issues in in the news and and in polite company. I, I think people still consider women's bodies kind of icky mm-hmm. on the inside. Yeah, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable talking about this. I'm not really. No. <laughs> David the dog got a mention on Corey this week, so it's time to address the elephant in the room. David was recast recently and was apparently left tired and shaking after his first day. But David sits and stays as asked, <laughs> so it looks like he's here to stay. Occasionally shits in the street. Right. It is the same kind of dog, he just has a different haircut. Oh, it's a dog. Yes, that's why I said. And not an elephant. David the dog Uh is an elephant, yes. That was very confusing. (laughs) Is that the haircut? David or David? David. Okay. I love that they've given, you know, Jack P. Shepard the task of of holding the new dog up and saying this is the new David the dog and you know, he had he he had a very he had a very nervous first day, but he's doing fine now, thanks. David or no, no, David. David, yeah. not Jack. David. And finally, thank goodness. <laughs> after being pushed back from Monday to Friday, the big quiz results are in, and sadly, Corey has fallen to Emmerdale. Just by two points. Twenty-four to twenty-six. Yeah, that's fine. Ryan Russell was a bit of a star. It's like it's like Celebrity Jeopardy, you know. I mean, I think, do you really expect these people to know things? Well, it's, it's things about the thing that they're in, right? And they don't know anything about it. No, Ryan Russell was 
was pretty good. Right. Yeah. Jack P. Shepard couldn't recognize the guy who tried to drown him on the show. <laughs> That's hilarious. Sally Divina was, I think, better. The Emmerdale guys were kind of the same. I think they kind of give this, they try and give this impression that they care about the results. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody really cares about the no. results. No, of course not. But, we don't um, even care about the results. But, but they managed to string... 20 minutes of TV out for an hour, and that's the main thing. Maybe they should be asking them about 19th century French literature instead. <laughs> that would be hilarious. And that's Corey News. And also, <clears throat> happy birthday to Corey Ford. Was it yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. 62 years young. Yeah, 62 is not a big, huge. I'll wait until 70, <laughs> and, and then I'll... Or 75, or 65, 65. When it hits 65, it'll be part of Corey News. But, I mean, we just had the hullabaloo for the 60th, so I was just kind of like... two years ago. I know. It was only two years ago, so am I really going to be like, oh, by the way, Corey had another birthday. Okay, let's do it on evenly divisible by five years and also World Cup years. There we go. (laughs) (sighs) Who do you think is going to win the World Cup now? Uh, I think Argentina. I hope not, but I think it is going to be Argentina. Oh, you don't want Messi to finally win a really World like Cup? I don't really like Messi. Why not? He's nice. Uh, I don't really like Ronaldo either. Well, Ronaldo is an asshole, but Messi is nice. Neymar's tears, though. You love to see them. You do. And now, let's podcast for coffee. Thanks to Fiona for our coffees today. Yes, thank you. I'm drinking mine out of my meh cup. And I'm drinking mine out of my... Oh, did you mean that to be as noisy as it was? Yes. Okay, thank goodness. <laughs> I've got my normal talk of the street mug. Available in all good merch stores. Fiona says, Having not watched Corey since about January, I was so pleased to have the talk of the street come up as my most listened to podcast of 2022 on Spotify. Aww. I've spent hours and hours listening to you recap a show I don't watch, which is the highest compliment I can give. Merry Christmas to you both. Thank you so much, Fiona. Thank you. Absolutely. Our friend Steve listens to the podcast. I don't think he does anymore. And and he's never watched Coronation Street. And thanks to Beth for her coffees this week. Oh, thank you, Beth. Many thanks for the pod. Always a delight to listen to. And also many thanks to my mom, Chris, for introducing me to it. I love you, mom. Merry Christmas from Canada. Wait, did 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 her mum introduce her to Coronation Street or to us? Uh, the podcast, I think, is how that sentence is constructed. Oh, well, that's delightful. Yes. We're, we're, we're crossing generations. <laughs> so, yes, we have an abundance of riches yes. coffee-wise this week. Thank you very much. Lovely, lovely stuff. Thank you to Fiona and to Beth for their kind donations. I am yes. very much enjoying my coffee this morning. Good. If you want to buy us next week's coffee, you can go to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the talk of the street, and we'll be very appreciative, won't we, Helen, like we are for Fiona and Beth. Yes. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to Lash It Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Gavin Scares Me. He scares me too. <laughs> this is when Gav was a guest star on on the show. He flew from Michigan to Manchester 
and to assault the old kebab guy and did a great job that's right this was Sarah's reaction to having to deal with ball busting Gavin at the factory remember oh yes all, ball busting all all Gavins are ball busting all Gavins are assholes <laughs> on television shows oh. on television shows I was Gavin and you were blown away this morning we'd eaten Chinese food the previous night but were also under a wind advisory that morning leading to two fart jokes in 24 seconds and we also thought that the power was going to go out so we ended up yes 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 Ended up buying batteries for this thing here that we didn't end up needing. That was weird. We were trying to figure out our Christmas schedule, which we still to figure out this year, but although I think we've talked about it a lot of it. Complicated more this year because we stayed at home last year, but we will be Connecticut bound in a couple of weeks. Woohoo! Yeah. Max is getting plenty of use out of his new camera But is concerned when he captures Summer and Daniel Getting a little too close for comfort The Baileys continue to forget Who has custody of Glory at the minute And draft up a document to get rid of Grace Once and for all Mimi's plans for her son's birthday Oh Mimi Rely on Tyrone turning up with an ugly cake And making a joke about a spillage of strawberries on the motorway Sorry so that, that wasn't was deliberate that time. Curtis announces that he wants to complete a Three Peaks challenge to bring Oliver's charity fund up to an arbitrary 100000 Sarah opens up about her menstrual cycle to a complete stranger after her business deal with ball-busting Gavin is spared. Always ball-busting. With speed dial still smouldering, Zidane begins to think his financial woes are at an end until the police are given reason to suspect arson. What? Whoa. Paul is an anti-vaxxer. Steve is shocked by London. And Phil with two London. L's. London! Filled with two L socks go missing. Our moment of the week was Todd handing out business cards to the terminally ill, and our boring moment That's of the right. week was Summer banging on about Oxford. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Yes. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this week is Tim's mum about the house. I'm glad they've remembered that she's supposed to be a sympathetic character. Yeah, there was a little confusion about that for a while, wasn't there? Hmm. I am not glad, though, that she's being... She's back to being nice and gullible again. And manipulated Mm -hmm. by a man. So we had the really pretty much a week without Coronation Street, if you were watching it live. Mm -hmm. Because we started this week on Wednesday. So on Wednesday, Gail is up with a lark... <clears throat> Voggling five guys. Oh, I mean six fellas. Yeah, six fellas, not five guys. Sarah and Michael come in looking for Stephen. <clears throat> Gail has no idea where he is, but she's looking for him too. And she reminds us all that she has his phone. And then we see Stephen walking back from the tram stop with Tim's mum looking like they both enjoyed each other's company and they arrange for a movie night tonight. And this is observed by a distant Tim. Mm-hmm. And in the roles, Shona is very much the delirious schoolgirl to see Stephen and Tim's mum behaving like dirty stopouts. She gives them one piece of cake with two spoons and a wink. Then Michael and Sarah find them briefly distracted by his arm in a sling. I believe they were forks. Were they? Yeah. You don't eat cake with a spoon, do you? I think it's possible. Hmm. An important point to pick me up on, though. <laughs> they want to run the pitch by him, so Tim's mum fucks off without a bit of cake, poor cow. 
Later, Stephen is impressed with the pitch and the number of orders that they have waiting. The investors will bite their hands off, but he won't be investing because of family, so he's out. He also needs to find his phone, so Sarah tells him that Gail has it, and she's pissed at him. Mm. So now he doesn't want to invest in things because family. But I think that's was, always been his... Well, he was very eager to sell that silk to them, remember? And it was Carla who said you shouldn't mix business with family. Oh, that's right. Yes. So he's, How uh, soon we forget. So he's Team Carla now in that. Mm. Well. Well, well, not really. No. Tim's mum goes to Tim's and is chatting about Tim's jacket when Tim comes in. God, how many times can I put Tim in a sentence? Who gives his mum a gentle... Never enough. A gentle ribbling <clears throat> about being seen with Stephen. Tim's mum has made her blushes. Sally's eyes pop out of her head. Tim hopes Stephen is treating her right. Not like Tim's dad did. Because he was a dick. At number eight, Stephen is reunited with his phone and borrows a charger. Gail seems suspicious about Stephen's injuries. He moans about the number of work emails that he received and Gail suspects that one of them will be from five guys, I mean six fellas. And she tells him about the horrible call that she got from them, claiming that he owes them a moped and a phone. And if she didn't know better, she'd say he was a delivery boy. I thought that was pretty funny. It was very funny. Gail was great this week. Stephen bluffs quickly. It's been his lifelong ambition to be a fast food delivery boy. He tells her that he was looking to invest in their business and he was crashed into by the owner on a moped or something. Gail looks at him like it sounds like the most reasonable excuse that she's ever heard and they all have a laugh about the delivery boy nonsense. Right, yes. Ha ha ha. How delightful that this minimum wage worker ran into you on the street. I thought it was the boss. No, no. He was talking to, supposedly he was talking to the boss and a delivery worker, you know, roared up to pick up his next order or something and accidentally ran into him. Hartney's arm. Yeah. Okay, that works. Sure. It's it's like that time that Shona got shot in the stomach. Oh, she did, didn't she? Yeah. And then got brain, brain damage from being shot in the stomach. Later, Sarah comes in with bad news. She's fucked up the unfuck-upable pitch. Well done, Sarah. Audrey has a bright idea and suggests that Stephen invests. Yes, says Gail, that would be perfect. So Stephen goes through his family-based reservations again when Tim comes along asking for a word with him. So Stephen and Tim go out the back, Tim briefly distracted by a gnome. He wants to know Stephen's <laughs> intentions with Tim's mum. Stephen, I, I too would be briefly distracted by that gnome. It was a lovely gnome. <laughs> Had a very distinct glaze upon his hat. It was when, the, when Tim said to Stephen... My mum doesn't know I'm here. And Stephen says, well, I would hope not. You're in your 50s. So Stephen and Tim go at the back. Tim briefly distracted by a gnome. He wants to know Stephen's intentions with with Tim's mum. Yes. Stephen insists that they're just good friends and they only rim each other on weekends. (laughs) God, brew. That came out of nowhere, didn't it? It really did. Satisfied, Tim leaves and is replaced by Sarah, who gives Stephen the whistle-stop tour of Tim's mum's history with the horrid and controlling Tim's dad. Gail and Audrey come out, wondering when uber-businessman Stephen is going to invest in his niece. So, under pressure, Stephen agrees to invest the 12 grand. Why? Why? Yeah, why? You don't have it. The women folk all go back inside, allowing Stephen to boot the gnome to fuck. Makes a change from a bin. Yes. Poor so why did he agree to this? To shut them up, I think. Because they would just continue to nag him because you know what women are like. Also, are no gnomes safe within the within the plat compound? No. Nope. First they get t- 
tossed at people's heads. And then and several years later... They get kicked to fuck. I know. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Later in Nina Scholl's... Stephen sees Tim's mum come in so he quickly pretends that he's on the phone in the middle of an argument with Gabrielle over the Sarah investment and he begs Gabrielle not to take out her anger on Sarah. He pretends to hang up. Tim's mum's curious as to what she thinks she overheard. In the Rovers, Michael thanks Stephen for the investment and goes off to get drinks. Tim's mum says the next round is on her and she's been speaking with her estate agent. Stephen is able to tell Tim's mum about his ex-wife and her horrendous controlling nature with the finances and how it looks like it's going to put the kibosh on him investing in Michael and Sarah's awesome business opportunity. As promised, Tim's mum goes to get the next round in, looking competitive as Stephen talks to Sarah and Michael about their business. So we can all see what's going to happen here. Yes. On Thursday at number eight, Audrey's ripping the piss out Stephen about Tim's mum, Shona only too pleased to join in. They've seen her house in the state agent window. Apparently, it's already under offer. Stephen takes an opportunity when Audrey nips off for a shite to nick her phone from her bag. And at Nina's rolls, he meets up with Tim's mum and as she chats about the sale of her house, he changes Audrey's number in his phone to read Gabrielle. Yes. Then he makes an, an excuse that he's left his wallet at Audrey's, so he disappears to get it. And he hides out at number eight and sends a batch of nasty texts from Audrey's phone to his phone which she conveniently left in Nina's role's face-up mm-hmm. for Tim's mum, you see. Right. So Tim's mum reads what looks like Gabrielle calling Stephen a stupid prick and a useless businessman and his Canadian accent needs work. He comes back and Tim's mum confesses that his phone has been busy with nasty texts from Gabrielle. Shocked, Stephen says it's all true. He is a failure after all. He's 65, living with his mum, sounds like he comes from Ohio and can't afford to fulfil his promise to invest in Sarah's business. She insists this is Gabriel gaslighting him, because that's what gaslighting means now. Leaving Tim's mum, Stephen changes his contacts back, and then meets up with Audrey to give her a phone back, claiming that he found it outside number eight. Now, does he remember to delete those texts, though? I was thinking that. Hopefully. I mean, hopefully, right? One would hope. Surely this isn't how he's going to get caught out. If he remembered to change the, the name, he must have remembered to change the... Does no one remember that he murdered someone? Everyone keeps forgetting that. Well, I keep forgetting that. <laughs> Audrey phones Stephen for some reason to check that it still works and then goes off for a cake and probably another shite. Later, Stephen meets Tim's mum in the pub. She confesses that she sees a lot of Tim's dad and Gabrielle and she's had an amazing idea to let him cut all ties. She's going to give Stephen the 12 grand he needs to invest in Sarah's business and then when they make their millions, he can pay her back. Stephen protests for just the right length of time and then with reservations, he agrees to accept. Fucking belter, he says. Ugh. On Friday, Stephen and Tim's mum meet up in Nina's roles. He's appreciative for the loan, but asks that Tim's mum keeps it under her hat. It's their little secret. Then Sarah and Adam come in and Stephen is able to tell them that they'll have their money to invest soon. And Adam offers to make some inquiries about the grief Stephen's had from the five guys. I mean, six fellas people. And reckons that he might be able to wangle some compo for some kind of... It wasn't an unfair dismissal thing, it was a... It was a being hit by a by a moped. Some damages, right? Right, yeah, and them supposedly insisting that he has to pay for the broken moped right. that was run into him, supposedly. So at Adam's behest, Stephen drops into the law office later, and Stephen says, "Look, just forget about this six fellas thing. It's not really important. This small claims thing is going to drag out forever. 
it's just not worth it. But Adam has already been in touch and sent a letter of action to them. Oh, for fuck's sake, says Stephen, lightheartedly. Right. Because now that letter's going to come back and... And they're going to be like, probably what, the, some, what the fuck? Right, some elements of the truth of this supposed accident are going to come to light. Right, yeah. Why Why would Adam do that? What, right. <laughs> I was very... It's like, why would you do something if you, before your client says, yes, do this thing? That thing that we talked about very briefly and casually in the pub about, I've written a letter for it and I've already sent it. Yeah. W- without your knowledge what? or consent. Is it is it just because he's family and, and he feels obligated to help out his wife's family? Or was it the fact that because of the week that Adams had this week, he was just dying to get his hands on something that was properly legal? Yes, that's and true. A, and not a Judge Judy impersonation and another storyline. Right, in a pub. Yeah, it was a bit strange. This show makes very strange decisions all over the place. I don't know why it surprises us anymore. I kind of like it though when the reasons for the story falling apart or whatever are kind of gradually built up. Like we said last week, Gail knows something about the story and Audrey knows something about the story and Sarah knows something about the story, but nobody knows enough about the story to push, to put them put all, it together. all together. Right. Adam taking this arbitrary action just to write a letter to the six fearless people right. is just completely out of left field. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, I think we should do this, so therefore we've done it. And it's mm-hmm. all taken care of in like Don't the worry last about it, five Uncle minutes. Steven. Yeah. Yeah. It was an odd one. If they'd made a big deal about it, if they'd been saying, you know, you should be suing these people or you should be mm-hmm. doing something against these people after it happened, then maybe it would have worked. But this was, this was just felt completely out of the No, way. because that would have given him enough times to protest before now. Mm-hmm. And then Adam wouldn't have done it because he would have protested enough. That's right. So the things that would have happened or would have needed to happen to make this make more sense would mean that the thing would never have happened in the first place. Correct. Well, <laughs> that's that's no reason not to do it. Well. <laughs> then we don't do this and then we find another way that it comes out. I don't know. It... Uh, I, I really just don't care anymore. You don't care about this story? I, I care I care more now that Tim's mum might get fleeced. I hope he's caught before she gets fleeced. Or, you know, she just invests in Sarah's thing anyway and makes a lot of money. Which is not really Sarah's thing, it's Michael's thing, which we keep forgetting. Yes, very much Michael's thing. This he's, is very much Michael's thing. He's got some more designs put together. I don't know what Sarah's done. Right. I'm, I'm guessing nothing. And and maybe he can hire Jacob to help him sew them, since it it's apparent that Jacob knows how to sew Y fronts. I'm kind of confused about Stephen's financial situation then, because he got the money from the equity release on Audrey's house to pay off Gabrielle, right, and have a few thousand left over for himself, right. But then I thought he had to give up that few thousand pretty much straight away yeah he did and then he's also had to do the holiday well no he used or was the, the holiday the three thousand yeah the holiday yeah i thought there was something else and then there, there was that whole car thing that his car got repossessed mm-hmm. so he doesn't have a car no he's still wearing nimran suit he's got some casual clothes now too as well <laughs> though who knows where he got those from 
So all he really wants is the money to get out of Dodge. That's all he's looking for at this mm. point, I think. Or he feels like... No, there's there was a reason because he was going to get out of Dodge, but then there was a reason why he had to stay, and I can't remember what it was. Was it the holiday? I thought there was something else there. I thought there was something else there too because there was that whole thing with... Ugh, I don't know. Like I said, it's just... I do like the Stephen bit. I, I like his... his his terrible bluffing and but has been able to come up with a ridiculous excuse on his feet kind of amuses me and you know sarah telling him how horrible tim's dad was and you know saying that you know you just never know with people you think people are a nice guy and mm. then it turns out that they're that they're horrible they're from ohio yeah <laughs> that does happen it does it does. We find out that some of the nicest people come from Ohio. Yeah. I worry. I do worry about Tim's mum. Is her life in danger? Everybody keeps speculating that Stephen's going to kill again. He will kill again. What he did was really kind of just manslaughter and then disabuse of a corpse more than murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but in Corey terms, that's murder. Right. Yeah. But... But be, but because of that, because he didn't like intentionally kill Leo, I kind of feel like he's not going to intentionally kill anyone else. Mm. Unless he's got a thirst for it now. He doesn't seem like he's got a <laughs> he thirst for it now. No. I do worry though, and yeah, I don't want to see Tim's mum, despite the fact that she is kind of annoying when she's not been terribly gullible. I don't want to lose her, her savings and all her money. Well, I would hope she got more than 12000 from her house. But she's using that to buy a smaller house. So right. she's using, so that's, that's the equities, the, the twelve grand, I think, conveniently enough. Hmm. Anyway, let's move anyway. on then to our next storyline, which is Tim's hunting wabbits again. On Wednesday. So much Tim this week. I know. It's a shortcut command shift T to write Tim on my uh. MacBook now. On Wednesday, Steve is on Maxine's bench counting his scratch card money. Tim comes along and Steve extends the hand of friendship and offers a share of the cash, handing Tim a crisp tenner from his £250 winnings. This makes Tim more infuriated than ever and he calls Steve a weasel. And then Steve makes a Muppet face. In streetcars, Tim's mood hasn't improved and the atmosphere between them is toxic and even Eileen notices. And it only gets worse when Steve starts licking the rim of Tim's mug. But not like that. And that does it, says Eileen. But as she intervenes between them, she winds up with her tea all down her front. His corn on the cab mug. Which Sally got him. Sally would never, ever buy a corn on the cab mug for anyone. I don't think so either. No. So lick away, Steve. I think Tim's lying. Faye, maybe. Maybe Faye got it for him. I don't think Faye has that sense of humour, does she? Sorry, I don't think Faye has a sense of humour, does she? Eh, it's got a cab on it. Her dad's a cabbie. Hmm. So, Eileen Frog marches them both round to Adams, demanding that he acts as a mediator. Adams wasn't paid for this shite, so it's agreed by Eileen that Steve will pay with his winnings. Adams obviously got better things to do, so tells them to fuck off for two hours and construct their cases. Back home, Tim finds that Sally could not 
give a solitary fuck about this business with Steve and is incensed when he insists that she attends the media the mediation, seeing as this was all her fault anyway. Yes. So in a booth in the Rovers, the power is going to Adam's head until he remembers what he's doing. Seven years of legal training for this, he says. In the presence of Sally and Tracy, he listens to Steve and Tim plead their cases and then makes his decision, which is that Tim doesn't have a leg to stand on, except maybe against Sally. Case dismissed. I think I think Steve should have split the the scratch card. Of course he should with, have, with, but he didn't with need to. Tim. Because while Sally gave away the jacket, Tim bought the ticket. Mm-hmm. So it was still his ticket. He still owned that ticket. So they should have split. They should have split it. That's I don't know why Steve opinion. has been such an asshole to Tim here. For for laughs? Is it? Is it for our laughs or for his laugh? I think it's for ours. I don't know I if I think it's this is supposed to be funny. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Adam sitting there saying seven years of legal training for this was pretty funny. Eh. Tim... And Steve wrapping packing tape around one another and pretending to be dinosaurs. We saw that on the quiz. That was clipped on the quiz. That's funny. Mm-hmm. And you know what fighting happens? over a coat that was accidentally donated to the clothing swap after we just went through an unsatisfactory storyline with this with Haley's anorak, which was never found and that story was never completed. Less so. Mm. Go back to wrapping one another with packing tape, please. So that was clipped on the soap quiz. Was it? What was the question? And well, I can't remember. But at the end of it, what you kind of forget happened at the end of it is that Steve and Tim are sitting on the bench outside, uh-huh. and they proclaim love for each other that they're each other's best friends. Yes. This is not what best friends do. To this degree, to let it go to this extent, I still don't know why. Oh, well, I do know. Because Tim told Tracy that Steve didn't hurt his foot right, in yes. the burglary. Yes. But Tim was provoked into doing that. Right. Tim just didn't say it out of the blue. Right. Tim, Steve did something which would not give Tim his jacket back. Right. And he was just kind of pulling his leg. He intended to give the jacket back until Tim said something to... Well, well so he said. I don't know. Did you and Stoops never have an argument like this? No. Me my big bear? No. <laughs> not, not to this extent. Not where we had to get a lawyer involved. Did they really have to get a lawyer involved in this, though? Oh, me and Stoops, we, yeah, we did have our disagreements from time to time, but you know what? We forgot about them and we made up. And we mm. were stronger than ever afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> on Thursday, Tim is confused about whether or not Adam's decision is a win or a loss, and he still blames Sally for all this. In streetcars, he's still in a bad mood, and he wants to buy his jacket back for a fiver. Island's had enough and sets up a Tim's jacket jar, a pound every time that fucking jacket gets a mention. And in the factory, Sally's down in the dumps about the jacket and is thinking about getting a new jacket, just like the old jacket. Faye's had enough of listening to this on behalf of the audience and tells her to stop blaming herself and to take control of the situation. So later in the pub, she approaches Tim and offers a deal. She'll quit going on about Aggie and has his secrets with her if he quits going on about his jacket. Tim, well, I, had she mentioned the whole Aggie thing recently? She'd, there was a few barbs 
Nothing much. No. That's been offered up. Uh-huh. And Tim accepts the deal and they smooch in the booth. Which means that when Steve comes into the pub later to brag about his jacket, Tim doesn't rise to the bait and Eileen and Sally split the money from Tim's jacket jar to buy themselves a round of booze and probably a hot pot. And that's as far as we get with that this week. And I think that's that done now. I hope so. That's two weeks that's lasted. Yeah. And yet we still don't know what happened to Haley's anorak. I don't think we're ever going to find out what happened so to Haley's So mad about anorak. that. So mad about that. That's a jacket we care about. Mm-hmm. We don't care about Tim's jacket. There you go. This is how Coronation Street makes a story about a jacket. Something that you're emotionally invested in because of what the jacket means to Roy and, and Evelyn to get it back. I didn't know that Tim really cared about this jacket. It wasn't right. as if it was Kev's bomber jacket. I if it was Kev's bomber jacket, then fair enough. It wasn't until Steve rolled in wearing it that I was like, oh, okay, that one. <laughs> right. Because when he was first complaining to Sally about it, I was like, what? What is he? what is he talking about that he wears it all the time? I don't remember this. But then once I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's certainly not like Necklace of the Week. Necklace? Love the week. <laughs> what was your necklace of the week this week? I don't think there were any necklaces this week, I were think they? we got a brief look at Spider's necklace. Uh, that is our necklace of the week. One of those hippie beaded hemp things mm-hmm. that I used to wear a lot in my 20s. Did you? Yeah. Oh, shame on you. <laughs> I was a very dirty hippie in my early 20s. That's how I became a single mum. <laughs> it's funny, that. <laughs> Ah, uh, good times. Anyway. <laughs> a boring necklace of the week this week? I guess it's going to be spiders as well. <laughs> boring necklace of the week. All right, let's move on then. And Coronation Street, this is a hint for you to also move on from the story. Please. Let's not put this in week three. No. Our next story is Todd's Pulling Teeth. On Wednesday, Sean and Dylan are putting up their Christmas like tree that. in Eileen's. It's their first Christmas together in Yonks. Dylan thinks that Lauren should get an invite, and Eileen has no objections. It's just a few more sprouts. You mean Lawrence? What did I say? Lauren. Do you think that uh, he's going to get more than a few sprouts? I, I would hope so. Uh, yes, I, I think he's going to get an abundance of sprouts. Maybe get some pork as well. From the Sean... Maybe a little bit of beef. Mm, and some corn on the cob. <laughs> on uh, Later at Nina's Rolls. Or at least the cob. Later at Nina's Rolls, Sean is talking it over uh, with a disinterested Todd. who leaves hurriedly when Lawrence arrives. Sean drops a question and asks Lawrence to spend a Christmas with a household of people that he barely knows. So they go back to Eileen's to make their big announcement that Lawrence will spend Christmas there. Todd is visibly uncomfortable about this, which George spots. And later, George approaches Todd about it and says that he knows what Todd's doing here. Todd looks guilty as fuck, but George thinks it's all about Todd not wanting Sean to get hurt again, which is an excuse that Todd leaps on, and George thinks this is very commendable. And deep inside there, Todd's got a bit of a heart. Mm. That's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. I kind of want Todd and Lawrence to get together. How dare you? Yeah, I think I think I'm I'm more invested in those two together than Sean and Lawrence together. I think it makes more sense, Lawrence and Todd, than Lawrence and Sean. Yeah, but Lawrence is flighty and ditzy, and a dentist. I think he common qualities than a dentist. Yeah, 
I think the two of them, I think Lawrence and Todd definitely look better together. Oh, that's a bit harsh. Makes sense, rather. It makes sense the two of them being together, I think. I don't think so. I, I, I want I want him to stay with Sean because I think he makes Sean better. Do you know what makes Sean better? What? Better Sean writing makes Sean better. That's true. There was a few uh, moments this week where Sean was much, much better. He was joking about another... I think he was joking with Mary about something. And just the lines that he was given was, were so much better. He was kind of funny. He was quite charismatic. Mm-hmm. And he was a much, much better character. Because we thought that he just works... He works well with Glenda. And he does work well with Glenda. Yes. Where and, is Glenda? And it was nice to see him with a character that that he works with mm-hmm. so easily. Mm-hmm. And I thought Glenda does bring the best out of Sean. But I think, you know, if you if you write him well... I think Lawrence and Dylan help with that as well because it makes him a more grounded character and he's not just kind of this flighty, self-absorbed nincompoop. I'd kind of like him to stop doing that twist thing that turn cocking the head up and spinning his body around like part of his mo though no isn't it <sighs> it reminds you how you annoying you can overdo it you can overdo it you can have too much of it yeah that happened years ago though <laughs> well i think we're on the other side of that hill yeah i don't know it just it stood out to me this week i think because like i said i thought he was written for better he was given better funnier lines yeah, he was written for more interesting things, and they, mm-hmm. it seems like they're really trying to make him more than two dimensional. That they're try- that they're finally treating him as more than a stereotype. Yeah, so doing that that twisted turny thing drags him back. Yeah, but if that's the only thing dragging him back, and it's not, you know, some of the other stuff that made him a stereotype, I don't know. I don't know. I've I'm I'm enjoying Sean at the moment. So yeah, I, and I'm enjoying them too. It's just that that little bit. I just don't want his uh, heart to be broken because I feel like that would be drawing him back. Well, again, especially not by Todd, who is his friend now. Uh, they are friends. Uh, they have said that they are friends. Yeah, but it's always kind of with conditions or with asterisks against it. I think. Oh, that's just the way Todd is, isn't it? I don't think they're friends' friends. Well, I think George and Todd are friends' friends. Well, they're employee and employer. But I think they're also friends. And also father and son, sort of. Mm -hmm. More than... I think there's more of a paternal than a fraternal relationship there. I would say that Todd and Paul are probably more like friends than Todd and Sean. Paul far away from Todd. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I get what you're saying, and I I don't want to spend the start of 2023 with Sean moping about because he's lost his man again, 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 again. Right. And has to see him all the time being happy with Todd. Mm. That would not be good. No. Which means that's exactly what's going to happen. Ugh. Moving on then. The next storyline is the Book of State. On Wednesday, Ty and Fizz take Hope back to school and meet Colin the Cake. Colin the Caterpillar. Colin the Caterpillar. Colin the Counselor. Cake. He thinks that they are Mr. and Mrs. Stape. <laughs> and the explanation of Fizzy's recent marital history, up to and including Phil with two L's, makes the counsellor cry with confusion. You've been called Mr. Peterson before, haven't you? No. I thought for sure that has happened in no, the past. I don't think so. 
I know I've been called Mrs. Peterson and I'm like, no, not anymore. Mm. Thank you. No, and people just assume that you're, that you're there, especially Steli's biological dad. That's happened quite a few times. It very rarely happens because Steli is very quick to point out <laughs> that I'm a stepdad. Which AKA, is fine because it's true. A.K.A. the cooler dad. Because <laughs> I stand at the cooler. <laughs> stand in the cooler. Oh. <laughs> Very soggy. Back in Nina's rolls, they agree that they want the ground to swallow them up, but the encounter gives Ty an idea, and he drops to one knee using Shona's ring. But not like that. He proposes to Fizz, and she says yes. So Ty and Fizz are engaged again, and this time, the third time, they want to get hitched super quick before Alina comes back with a baby. At home, they break the big news to the girls. Ruby thinks Fizz is pregnant. Hope thinks it's only because the counsellor's head exploded. It's neither of those things, says Fizz, except for the thing Hope said. Right. Plus, they love each other and stuff, and the girls will be the best bridesmaids ever, just like that time you married Phil, says Hope. <laughs> then the door goes, and wouldn't you, Adam and Eva, it's the author of the state book. He's there to apologise. He's had a lot of time to think since the book failed to sell, apart from to one mysterious bloke. And he drops off his files and research on John Stapes so it never falls into the wrong hands ever again. Right. And then he says, can you ask your friends to stop writing <laughs> bad one, reviews? One star reviews on my book. And it's like, why are you assuming <laughs> it's their friends doing that? Maybe your book is just bad. <coughs> People do tend to like true crime, though. So I'm kind of surprised that it's not doing too well, especially at the Christmas time. Mm hmm. Especially since Beth bought it. If Beth is putting money behind something. Is Beth the only other person that bought No, the journalist had got a copy of it as well. Oh, that's right. Or but no, the I, therapist. The therapist had a copy. The therapist had a copy. Beth had a copy. And Ty had 40 copies. I think hmm. that's it. Yeah. On Thursday at home, Tyrone is frantic with worry. He can't find a jiffy bag with the research documents in it. Fizz has already handed it to Gemma to hide in her loft, deciding to keep it for hope when she's older rather than just burning it just now. But at the quad house, it isn't in the loft because Gemma's lazy and the ladder broke, so she's hidden it in the pantry and plans to warn Bernie not to open the door when she's looking after the kids later. And Nina rolls, Hope is with Joseph and Sam and it is delightful. It is. More of this, please. She knocks over her milkshake and instantly refuses to take the blame. Bernie reckons it must have moved itself and wonders if the kids are having a seance, which means she has to explain to them what a seance is. But she seems to be getting confused with a Ouija board as she turns over the milkshake and spells out, he's buried under the flower bed. And she laughs as Sam, Joseph and Hope stare at her like she's mad. Right, yeah. It's very funny. Yeah. What a lovely little group those three kids are. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. We Joseph... We Joseph. Oh, we saw we Joseph last night. He was playing in the, the middle school band. <laughs> so we kind of just looked exactly like Joseph. Yeah. Well, he was a small small boy. Right. <sighs> we saw Jacob look like it as well, didn't we? Wearing tracky pants. That was Joseph as well. Was it? That was Joseph. Yeah. Was it? Mm -hmm. Joseph was playing in track pants in the band? Yes. That doesn't seem likely. Later at home, Bernie goes off for a nap, which allows the kids to set up a Ouija board using a deck of cards. Sam coming up with the idea of assigning a letter for each card. You ever mucked about with a Ouija board? Mm-hmm. 
Of course I have. Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah. Until until it's until it's most definitely not. I was totally moving the glass. When I did it, I was totally moving the glass. My cousin tried to burn one once and it started to like Uh-oh. shake and move and jumped out of her hand. She was probably shaking it she was to, to, freak us, it, yes. to freak us out. But still, it was terrifying for a 10-year-old me. Mm-hmm. I was much older when I did it. Yeah. And so I started to have some fun with my friends by spelling out the names of the demons that were watching us. Vuku the Unseen. Mm. Because the V and the U were close together, so it was, it was easier to spell out. A Ouija board once told me that I was going to marry a man named Fred. So be on the lookout for Fred to to steal me away from you. That, Unless your name that is... that prick for the B-52s, isn't it? I don't think you have to worry about him. <laughs> well, if I'm worrying about a Ouija board, I might as well worry about that prick from the B-52s. Yeah. Good fun. Good fun. So they play about with it for a while, the cup getting knocked over and rolling towards the two of hearts. It's a sign, says Joseph. Sam says the two of hearts is a bee. Bee for biscuits, says Joseph, and he goes yeah. to the pantry. It's a sign for biscuits. <laughs> and as he opens the pantry door, the jiffy bag falls out and pictures of Stape are clearly visible. Bloody hell, it is a sign, says Hope. So they go through the stuff and are confused by a cassette tape and I've never felt so old. So ridiculous. Our kids wouldn't be confused by a cassette tape. Stelly owns cassette tapes for Pete's sake. It's like all those old men who come to our yard sales and like pick up a phone and say to Stelly, I bet you don't know what this is for. And she looks at them like, you are... The characters from South Park. (laughs) This is coming from my house. I think I know what it is. You dumb, dumb old man. I think kids that age would be confused about a cassette tape. If they haven't been exposed to them before, why would they know what it is? Yeah. And it's just that this house is full of things from the 70s. And the 50s. And well, the that 30s. doesn't make it better. And, and, the, and the 19th century, a few things. Sam thinks it's a primitive means of recording and communication and knows that you can't <laughs> fuck around with the tape inside it. Ben comes down for a nap, shocked that the kids are messing with their cult, and they manage to cover just as Chauncey comes home. <laughs> Surprised to see them playing cards. Oh, Chauncey. <laughs> That's right, says Bernie. It'll be a slinky, a three-bar fire, and a ghetto blaster next. That was funny. Are, are slinkies really not a thing anymore? I'm sure our kids had slinkies. Were they ever a thing? Yeah. I don't know if they were a thing in the UK. I never slinky, had a slinky. Slinky, slinky. Yeah. No, I didn't. Well, no, I'm saying that they were a thing. Uh, they were a thing here. I had a slinky. Back home... Yeah, because uh, you were, and, and, and you were then, Connecticut. You were a Connecticut kid. And, and of course Stelly, you had a slinky. And, and also, most kids are aware of the Toy Story movies. Slinky Dog. Slinky Dog is a contemporary character in a Pixar movie franchise. Do you know how old Toy Story is? Don't tell me. Well, no, the fourth one just came out like two years ago and you hated it. You oh, were so mad. I don't think Slinky Dog was in it. But do you think people... No, because he Dog? died. Or the man who, you know, what's his name, who who voiced him, died. Back home, Hope is on the Vogel <clears throat> when Tyrone, father of the year, suddenly remembers that she's banned from it. The laptop, not the Vogel. Right. She goes upstairs, which allows Ty and Fizz to check the history, and they see what she was looking up. And she was looking at ghetto blasters. Oh, how cute. And cassette tapes. Oh, how cute, say the parents of the year. 
Meanwhile, Hope is listening, sitting on the stairs, using a biro to reel in the loose tape on the cassette. Yes. It was Sam that taught her how to do that, I'm sure. I think it was the, the Vogel. On Friday, it's Hope's birthday. She gets a laptop, but Hope would be more interested... That in she's con- banned from using. <laughs> well, I think she was banned from using fizzies. So they got her her own one. I don't know why they're spoiling this child so much. Right, yeah, and Ruby still looks pissed. Oh, she is pissed. Hope would be more interested in a cassette player as Sam's made her a mixtape. Ooh, mixtape, says everyone. Everyone over the age of 40. Sadly, they don't have a cassette player. But Tyrone is able to pick one up from Roy. Fizz and Tyrone are worried that Hope was more interested in this than the laptop or their upcoming wedding. Super parenting. Fizz says absently that she would prefer just to skip the planning and get on with a simple wedding. Hmm, says Tyrone, lightheartedly. Mm. Then it's Hope's birthday at Nina's Rolls. The kids are playing past the parcel and Tyrone makes sure that the present lands on Hope. And wouldn't you... That was so bad. That was so, so bad. bad. And wouldn't you know it, it's the tape player. Hope wants to go home immediately. So at home, Hope tells Tyrone and Fizz to fuck off so she can listen to her mixtape. They think it's cute that she has such a crush on Sam, but of course, this is all so she can listen to a tape of John Stape doing an English study aid thing where he's talking about a novel or something. Little Women. Was it Little Women? It was Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. Later, still at Nina's Rolls, Joseph has fallen asleep in his chair. Chauncey and Gemma demand to know what's wrong with him. Promise you won't get mad, asks Joseph. No, says Gemma, now spill. As she pops yet another pickled onion into her mouth. Who brings pickled onions to a child's birthday party? Everyone likes a pickled onion. Do they? Oh, yes, please. It was always the highlight of Christmas and New Year. Was that you'd get the little plastic swords... Mm-hmm. And you'd get a little chunk of cheese. Uh-huh. You'd get a little cocktail pickled onion. Uh-huh. And you'd get a little cube of ham. Okay. Oh, you're in taste heaven. Are you? Oh, absolutely. Can you get those little swords here? Of course you can. Can you get the little pickled onions? I maybe maybe we can get them at like Horrocks or something. I'm going to I'm going to try and source that today because it is a taste sensation. We can make them at my mum's. We can bring them to my mum's and, and, and pass them around and say, this is a this is one of the weird Scottish traditions. I don't think it's a good idea to have plastic swords at your mum's. <laughs> Somebody could put out their eye. Or someone else's eye. Yes, that's what I mean. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so Joseph grasses up hope and Gemma storms round to see Fizz and lets her know that her daughter is trying to summon the dead to put the fear of death into poor Joseph with the Ouija board. Fizz just can't believe it. But she and Tyrone confront Hope about this and she admits it, wondering what her punishment is going to be but there is no punishment and Fizz understands that she just wants to hear from her dad and Hope promises not to contact the spirits ever again and she's let off. We are brilliant parents says Ty and Fizz to each other. I think Hope was a little disappointed by the lesson on little women. Not not having anything to do with, you know... Murder. Murder. Later, Tyrone goes to apologise to Chauncey. They have some beers, and Tyrone announces that he's secretly engaged... He's secretly engaged. He's secretly arranged the wedding for Christmas Day. Fizz is going to love it, says Ty. And they're watching the Great Pottery Throwdown, and that's the thing that makes... That makes, uh... Ty say, oh yeah, I'll have a beer and sit and watch the Great Pottery Throwdown with you. 
<laughs> that was delightful. I, I, yes. That Tyrone, was my favourite part. Tyrone has um, got a cancellation at the hotel mm-hmm. for Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. And Chesney's like, well, of course it's a cancellation because it's Christmas Day. Nobody right. gets married on Christmas Day. And yeah. Tyrone thinks this is great because he'll, he'll never forget his anniversary. his anniversary again. But he will. Right. Of course he will. Right. No, remember, it's Christmas, yeah. but not his anniversary. Absolutely. Yes. That was quite funny. Yeah, and the way the way that Chauncey is is looking at <laughs> we're going with that. Is looking at Ty. You started it. No, I think <laughs> you started it. I also said Chandler. You didn't have the same. Uh, it's not as funny as Chauncey. You didn't have the same uh, conviction as you did with with Chauncey. I want the show in in the next year to have. A secret twin pop up, and the secret twin's name is Chauncey. He's been on the show since he was like eight. Does it matter? How long did it? How long did it take for him and Fizz to realize that they were siblings? That took a while, didn't it? No. It could be like it could be like the parent trap. They could parent trap him. So the Chauncey is the one that was raised in America because they were they were separated at birth, but for some reason they were both given names that started with CH and right. kind of sound similar. You have Chauncey who was raised in on, LA. Oh, no, I was going to say uh, East Coast, definitely old money. Oh, okay, yes, yes that that does that does work. <laughs> right. Do you know? I think there's legs. I think this has legs. I think so. So, you thought that Hope was disappointed, and yeah, because they, you know, she's like, "Don't worry, I won't be doing that again because it doesn't turn out the way you want." But also because she doesn't need to because she's got the tapes. She's got this one tape. That's all she has. Everything else got shoved into an, yet another cupboard by, um, by Bernie. But by Bernie, yeah. But now, now Hope knows where that is. Yeah, but I'm sure Bernie moved it again. Mm. I'm not sure. Mm. Maybe Hope is going to turn over a new leaf and become really interested in 19th century feminism. Mm. You never know. You never know. I do like the idea that her and Sam have a little crush going, even though... That's not happening. That's definitely not happening. No. Sam was uh, was pretty funny as well, because... Like was, what mixtape? And well, he was more interested in the the stains in the carpet from right from the dead body from the dead body, and then had to pretend he wasn't really interested in that. Right, yeah. It's like Sam Love. Yeah, they're not going to use that carpet again for anything else. <laughs> he was really worried about it. That was pretty funny. It was very cute. All right, moving on. Then our next story is Summer Shandy. On Thursday. <sighs> At the Young Crew flat, Summer forgets to feel sick when Jacob is cooking bacon, so Jacob and Amy become impressed that her morning sickness pills are working and Summer does nothing to disabuse them of this. And later at the factory, Jacob has made some festive drinks for the knicker people, but reacts with shock when Summer goes to drink one. This makes all the knicker people assume that Summer has a little Eccles cake in the oven and they just pretend to believe her when she insists that she isn't pregnant. Because she isn't, not because she's covering it up. Right, yes. And later, Summer gets home and Amy apologises for Jacob having heard what had happened. 
And Summer tells Jacob that he didn't need to tell Amy. She wouldn't have said anything. But Jacob says that he hates secrets and these things always come out. So best to be honest up front. And he apologises again. Summer takes this to heart by failing to tell Aaron when he asks what's up. And again, I think, you know, we kind of mentioned before we started recording, there's these little elements of where the show kind of becomes its own viewer. Right, yeah. Because Jacob here was very much the, I'm not keeping secrets, I'm telling her because she's Mm -hmm. going to find out anyway and it's much better that she finds out now what I did. Right. Which is kind of what Summer should have done. Right, absolutely. Ages ago. Yes. On Friday at the flat, Summer has got a text from Mike and Esther who'll be dropping around later. Plus, they've more shite to deal with before that because Amy has found the morning sickness pills in the garbage so Summer has to come clean. She's unpregnant. And she's been unpregnant for about a week. Yes. And in his roles, Summer and Amy chat the miscarriage over. Amy asks what Mike and Esther have to say about it. And yeah, about that, says Summer. And she explains that she hasn't told them. And Amy is appalled. Seriously. Back at the flat, Amy tells Jacob and the two of them get stuck into Summer. This is totally fucked up. And now you're stealing money from this weirdo couple. And you've changed. And Summer 1.0 would never have done any of this. Right, yeah. Yeah. The show seems to acknowledge the fact that <laughs> that we are all right. <laughs> right. That none of this should be happening right now. Yeah. That this is completely adverse to this character's character. Amy tells her that she needs to tell them just as Esther and Mike arrive. So they leave, but they make it clear that they know what's going on here. And Mike, are, Mike and Esther are worried that Summer's blabbed. So Aaron has to distract them by saying that the baby kicked this morning. <sighs> And then Summer covers by saying, oh, it was more of just like a little flutter. Yeah, but that doesn't stop Esther from being super excited. She needs some good news as her mum's sick, apparently. Then, if we didn't think the couple were creepy enough, Esther produces a portable ultrasound machine and some jelly intent on making, doing a homemade scan or something. It's it's a Doppler machine to detect the heartbeat. Because that's less creepy. Well, it's it's an actual thing that you can buy as opposed to an ultrasound machine. It's it's creepy though. We can it agree is, on that, right? It is creepy and it gets creepier. Oh, it gets creepier. It gets so much creepier. So Summer has to let Esther scan her belly for a baby that isn't there. Mm-hmm. And you see her belly all slavered in the, the jelly and the goo. And right, which you don't need for a Doppler machine, but never mind. And Summer freaks out saying that she's had enough of this. Aaron blames it on the nerves ahead of the scan tomorrow. Uh-oh. Esther has a really good feeling about this, which is based on a I don't know what. Being crazy? And later in Speed Dial, Summer tells Aaron that he's made matters worse because this is all his fault. Amy, Amy appears and tells him that delaying telling Mike and Esther is making matters much, much worse mm-hmm. and calls what they're doing cruel. I'm not a monster, says Summer, but to get Amy off her back, Summer promises to tell the truth to them tomorrow. Well, she better before that scan, because when they show up for that scan, the doctors are going to look at her like, what are you doing here? <laughs> it's the, again, the the change in summer that, that Amy has pointed out being absolutely 100% on the money. Because Summer presumably hears herself talking here, where she says things like, well, this is just far too difficult to tell them and what I need, I need time to be able to tell them. Not realising that the, the logical extension of that is that the longer that she leaves it, the worse it's going to be. Right. And if she needed more time because she was 
distraught and grieving. It would be one thing. But she needs more time because she has stolen money from these people to take care of a man who is not her responsibility and who is never going to get better until he acknowledges that he's hit rock bottom and needs to get better. Mm -hmm. So just throwing bad money out after good here for this thing that she is not responsible for. And there are no adults here. (laughs) She actually says, I needed the money to stop Eric from drinking himself to death. That money is not going to do that. No, it's not. If Eric, Eric is going to stop Eric from drinking himself Eric to death. If Eric wants to drink himself to, to death, drink himself to death. Yes. he's going to drink himself to death, you know, until, until he acknowledges that he has a problem and not just because he's been forced to by a program he didn't want to get into. It's never going to happen. No. And this is just such... <laughs> It's such a, 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 a misuse of what alcoholism actually is. Oh, don't get me started on this. It, it just it angers me so much. You know, I, this, whole, this whole thing just is such a... He's a walking whiskey bottle. That's, right, that's the yeah. depth that they've given him is just a walking whiskey bottle. The only way they could have made it worse is if they made him Irish. Oof. With a and, donkey. And right. And then he'd really be a stereotype yeah. uh, and a cliche. And just the way that they're handling it, it's just, it's disgusting. And I'm, it makes me very angry. On top of just being very angry that they've just completely made Summer somebody that she's not. Mm-hmm. So let's say she does tell Mike and Esther on Monday or whenever the next that episode That she's lost is, the baby. That she's lost the baby. She didn't have to tell them when. She, oh, overnight, she's lost the baby. Hmm. What do you suppose is going to happen after that? Well, they're going to get mad mm-hmm. and expect their money back. They're not going to be able to give them the money back. Right. Because, and, <laughs> because Eric's currently drinking it. Right. And, and Esther and Mike really have no recourse because what they're doing is illegal. So they're going to maybe do bad things yeah, to I, Summer I think they, and Aaron. They are... They're going to threaten them. They're unhinged enough. Yeah. And especially considering that whole thing, because let's remember, although I don't know if if this is even the case because there is no birth certificate. Remember, they were going to say that it was Mike's baby all along to try to sort this. Yeah, and that's a little thing that that popped up in my head as a bit of a worrying right. aspect but of what it. But sort of, what sort of, they, they don't have any paperwork about that yet, do they? It wouldn't well, have no, been... but that's that's in their mind. Right. For Mike to be the daddy here. Mm-hmm. And I've got a horrible feeling that they're going to say to someone, you owe me a baby. Ew. And I'm going to put a baby in you. Well, I don't know. Maybe, Aaron, you better knock her up pronto. Or, or I'm going to do it because you pricks owe me a baby. And their only recourse is violence. And if that happens, this gets much, much worse. It and does. it's already terrible, awful. Just the worst thing ever. Like, whoever thought up this storyline just needs to be taken out back. Well, which part? The which, whole fucking which, thing. Which part of it? Because it started Who a year ago. Hates this girl so much. What? Who did Harriet piss off? 
what is going on here? Because this is so terrible, and it just keeps getting worse. This is yet another aspect of it where Amy is being the audience mm-hmm. and saying for us, because we can't say this to the character, that no. you've changed so much. But she also says, this is cruel. Yes. <laughs> and we've been saying that for a few weeks now. Right. What is happening here is cruel to that character. Right. It Well, and also cruel to the weird people. And yeah. granted... You're right to be cruel to weird people, aren't you? Well, they're weird and horrible, at, but also... That, that's no excuse for you to be cruel back. Very true. You know? I hated that, though, this week where she says, oh, I wasn't going to give you this just now, but in my bag I have this machine right. that I can use to... To, to s- hear the heartbeat. Right. Who walks about with that in their bag? I wasn't going to give you that. Well, who just shows up at somebody's house when they say, please don't come, I'm sick? Hmm. Especially when, let's all remember... There's still a pandemic on. <laughs> I know the world seems to nah, want to forget. Done. That's all done, though. But there's a pandemic on and also a very strong flu virus, an RSV going around. This is... I'm just glad that... This is dark and dismal enough. I really hope it doesn't go in a much darker place because you know it, is it is going in a darker place. And that's, that's what we've got to look forward to at Christmas. <sighs> Moving on. I was really looking forward to a not dark Christmas. Oh, well, a reminder then to hang around at the end of the episode where I have an interview with Cory blogger Darren Hilbert and we talk a little bit about Christmas without spoiling anything. Right. Moving on, our next storyline is Horny Ken's casting couch. Yuck. On Friday. That's that's such a gross illusion, Broom. You should be ashamed of yourself. Especially since you're going to go see that Me Too movie today. <laughs> on Friday, Ken is in Nina Rolls having a tart. And but not meet, like that. And meeting up with Wendy. She's going out later with some friends and they look forward to meeting tomorrow for a show about stately homes and a veggie lasagna. In the community centre, Mary is hyperventilating due to nerves about the show. Martha arrives and Ken, Ken creepily unzips her winter coat for her. Let me help you with that. That was so gross. That was so gross. The title, had, the title is gross. That's gross. It's all gross. What? What is going on? Ken is so freaking creepy. Nigel and Brian think this is fucking weird, but don't say anything. This horny Ken practically takes Martha's eye out with his underpants. Martha gives Mary some encouragement and she delivers an amazing speech before slapping Brian across the face. It's magnificent, says Nigel, but Ken isn't happy about Mary improvising, but is soon distracted by Martha who invites them all to join her seeing an experimental play. Ken would be delighted. Martha says Mm. that she enjoyed experimental stuff and once did a play in the nude in Edinburgh. Picks or GTF, says Ken. uh, Do you think it was hair? What was hair? That that was the show where she was nude, was hair. No. <laughs> Ahead of the play, Ken bumps into Wendy, who was visiting Abby, I think, who is still alive. He awkwardly expe- explains about the play, but Wendy doesn't care. She hates experimental theatre. She only likes shows about stately homes. <laughs> then the pub, after the play, Martha and Ken have a chat. Martha asks Ken what he and Wendy get up to if she doesn't like experimental theatre. Shows about stately homes and veggie lasagnas, he says. His underpants sadly coming calming down. Nice. 
says Martha. And she moves in close and says that he still has an awful lot to give. And Ken, again, is seemingly aroused by this and ignores the phone call from Wendy on his phone in the bar. That's as far as we get with that. Yeah, I hate this. <laughs> I know you love it. I, mean, I, I don't know if I love it, but it's, it's, it's making me laugh. Ken's face is just such a picture. He but is a dog with two dicks here. It's <laughs> but it's so weird because last week he seemed to very intentionally say, you know, seemed to imply that, nope, nope, he's committed to Wendy. Mm. And yet, immediately this week, he's creepily taking off her coat. <laughs> What's he doing on zipping that jacket? Let me help you with that. Yes. What help? Because you're this infirm, you know, infirm, gentle, fragile female who who mustn't get her fingers caught by the zipper. Mm-hmm. Well, she's Stephanie Beecham. Who can fucking take her own coat off, thank you very much. <laughs> I would have punched him in the face if he'd done that to me. But Nigel's, what the fuck are you doing, man? Nigel's face Get your with, fingers off my chest. Nigel's face when that happened, though, and then Brian's face later. Ugh. They're both just, what on earth is he doing? Do you think Brian has a crush on Mary? Does Brian... It kind of seems like they're like yeah. they're very subtly implying that Brian now has a crush on Mary. I think I think you might, and I think you're right that they're kind of sneaking it. They're sneaking in, it un, under the the the, under the Stephanie Beecham stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. Because he wants to rehearse with her a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And he enjoyed the slap. And 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 he, you know, <sighs> the slap heard across the world. Mm. I do not like. I do not like the i the idea that that Mary is a bundle of nerves, though not our Mary. Our Mary doesn't get to be a bundle of nerves. It did, it did give us though the scene where she's breathing into a brown paper bag, which was, which was pretty funny as well. Well, I will give you that. I just don't want Wendy to get upset about this. Yeah, and, I don't want Wendy's heart broken. And I don't know if Wendy's heart is going to get broken about this because Wendy was very much the one who had to be talked into this. But the fact that she's been talked into it and she seems to be given it right. a proper try. She's kind of seemed to know what was going on when, when Think, Ken mm-hmm. was just like, oh, well, you know, just a few people. You know, Mary, Brian, and some other people. And then when Mary mentions the fact that Martha's going, Wendy gives Ken a very knowing look. Yeah, when Wendy walks away from the situation, mm-hmm. she has kind of... You can see her, the, the wheels work yes. here. And so when Ken hasn't answered the phone later on, one has to assume that she's yeah. she's maybe on to her a little bit. Yeah. But I think he's going to go with Martha. He's clearly besotted. He was clearly besotted with Wendy. Right. A month ago. Uh, exactly. It's kind of gross. <sighs> Take a cold shower, old man. Put that thing away before someone gets hurt. Mm-hmm. Back to the plastic or, swords again. Or so help me. All right, our final storyline. Put it away for you. This week is Mad Max 3 Racism Road. <laughs> On Wednesday, in Nina's Rolls, Gary and Maria are chatting about all the racism that's been happening th- these days. Gary thinks Maria should put all her effort into getting Maneer to change his mind about the market thing. No, about the community centre thing. Yes. 
which Maria agrees to do, warning that Pigate Len, Maria's nemesis, will put up a fight against anything they plan to do. But in the meeting that Speed Dalamanir is very worried that Griff represents a significant chunk of the Weatherfield population, and even when Alia comes in to reveal that the names in the petition are fake, it doesn't matter. Weatherfield is too racist, so the community centre thing for the refugees is off. Maria, Alia and Yasmin lick their wounds. It was such a noble idea and it was all for naught. But then Yasmin has an idea. Yeah, I don't like this. I don't like the fact that, you know, that the the person that they brought in to be like the... That that he's so quickly put off by one group of idiots Mm. and not, you know, standing his ground. Yeah, that happens a couple of times this week. Yeah. Yasmin has an idea and she tells him to play Griffith's own game and get a petition together of locals who support the refugee idea and suggests setting up a stall to gather names at the Christmas market and Maria thinks this is brilliant. The council meeting later takes place in the Death Star. Predictably, Pgate Len is not <laughs> amused by this idea as it steals a place from a vendor. And it also doesn't steal a place from a vendor. It's just yet another stall. Right. His piss is boiling later, though, when Maria suggests that as the market will run to January, maybe changing its name to the winter market would make more sense. And Pgate Len's head explodes. And and there's another guy there that kind of looks to, to Pgate and kind of rolls his eyes as well. Mm-hmm. So there's at least two people. And, and Maria backs off and says, fine, whatever. It, it was just a suggestion. Right. So this is never, ever something that was seriously thought of to go on the whole winter festival but she's picked a thing that's going to get the daily express mob and the daily mail mob all in a frenzy though that's it's the textbook that it's like the bendy bananas well it would it's bendy bananas it would if megan and harry's show hadn't just premiered <laughs> on netflix they're, they're too busy with that for now maria heads back to speed dial to give them the good news that everyone apart from p gatelyn was on board about the the petition thing mm-hmm. but then she gets a call from a journalist asking her why she's wanting to cancel Christmas so furious Maria <laughs> has the show moved to Alabama <laughs> furious Maria storms off to tell Gary and then sees Pgate Len and she tears into him he denies blabbing to the press but is glad that someone decided to because Maria is a whorebag and Maria doesn't think anyone is going to care about this but people do care about it so she ends up chatting to a journalist in the rovers about the winter market and the refugee centre Back at Speeddal, Maria thinks that she's put all this to bed, but then Alia shows her the front page from the Gazette Online, <laughs> local councillor, and it's got a picture of Maria dressed up as the Grinch. Right. And the article explains that Maria is a snowflake who doesn't want to upset Sikhs or something, and chemtrails are real. Ooh, that's not good, says Gary. And then Maria gets a call from the council. The stall at the Christmas market has been cancelled. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. They would have to go back and vote on it again. And it didn't really seem like they voted on it the first time. Maria just said, well, I'm just going to do this thing. Yes, yeah, I think she was the chair. Right. So she gets to make all the decisions. Right, because that's how democracy works. <laughs> on Thursday, it's Maria's turn to attempt to destroy all copies of the Gazette. Local councillor, says the headline from yesterday's online edition. Griff rolls up in his workman, winds Maria up about it, and then says that he didn't fight for Queen and Country so that a local community centre could offer advice to refugees and asylum seekers. Maria tells him that she knows the effect of petition and Griff could not give a solitary fuck. Mm-hmm. This is the thing that gets me, is that he's constantly called out for the things that he's, that mm-hmm. he's manufacturing right. and faking and doesn't care. No, and that's how people like that are. 
That's why, like, telling people facts is not going to change their minds. They're like, well, that's just your opinion, man. And also, racism can happen to white people, too. Maria meets Alia at Nina's Rolls. Alia has had a spin on the market idea. Let's make it a regular stall, but the stuff people buy is actually stuff that we can donate to the refugees. Mm -hmm. And it takes Maria quite a while to tug why this is a good idea, but she'll take it to the council meeting. She tells Alia about Griff's queen and country remark verbatim. It turns out that it's Griff that's been subcontracted to fix number one roof. Tracy's just thrilled to have a man up her scaffolding. But not like that. Even if her roof will be racist now. <laughs> Ed gives Griff a loan of his roof tape, which Griff is happy to take off his hands, and then he starts to test the waters with Ed a little bit about mm -hmm. that stupid cow Maria and all our stupid namby-pamby woke ideas and stuff, eh? And Ed's like, well, well, Maria, she means well. Right. And also kind of gives him a weird look, like... Who are you? <laughs> and why do you think I care about... Right. We're talking about roof tape. Right. Espidal, homeless Stew learns about Griff's Queen and Country remark, and this gets him all interested, thinking this might be a way to get through to him. So when homeless Stew runs into Griff outside number one, he starts questioning him about where he served and what regiment he was in. And he tricks Griff into admitting that he was in the Navy, but then shuts up when Homeless Stew gets all specific. And I thought this was quite clever from a Homeless Stew, because he right, says, oh, you were in the service, were you in the army? No, I was in the Navy. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. I was in the Navy too. Because if, if Homeless Stew had said, were you in the Navy? Griff would have said, no, no, I'm in the army. Right, because if there's one thing that we know from Homeless Stew's glorious hair and beard is that's definitely a seaman. <laughs> With those baby blues. Yes. It's the beard, though. And at you, this you, point... You expect to see him, like, with a peg leg behind the steering wheel. Because that's not a stereotype. <laughs> what, selling fish fingers to people? Is he Captain Birdseye? He's the Gordon Fisherman. Do we have Captain Birdseye here? Yes, but only in select stores, like the British shop in Canada that we go to. And at this point, I thought, do you know, I've seen Griff somewhere before. Mm -hmm. So I looked him up mm -hmm. And the actor played one of the uh, guys that stabbed Jon Snow in the Game of the Thrones <gasps> No wonder I hate him There you go I thought I knew I'd seen him somewhere before That's where it was He was in the Game of the Thrones in the Game of the Thrones, good for him Yeah, and now he's back on Coronation Street that's not the that's not the projection that your career is supposed to go The Coronation of the Street yeah. <laughs> The Coronation of the Street Homeless you knows Griff is at it, and then Ed, the proud son of immigrants, comes back and asks for his tape back after he's had a word with Dee Dee. Wouldn't, wouldn't Dee Dee have told him about this awful racist guy on the street you know, before I'd just, now? I would just let him have the tape. Do you know what? We'll write off. He's not getting any more tape. No. But I'm not going to go back and say, give me my tape back, because it's a bit of a childish thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. Back at Speed Dial, Yasmin isn't happy that Holmes should got involved and then isn't happy further when Alia wants to go and have a word with Griff about this. But Alia can't be dissuaded and she goes to number one to have a word telling Griff that he brings down the reputation of true servicemen like her dad. And talking about reputation, she wonders if his employer will be interested to know about his interests outside of work. You know, Alia, maybe 
maybe just go directly to his employer yeah. and, and not say something to him first about it. Stop telling him things that you're going to do. Right. Yeah. Yes. Have you never watched a Bond film? Or Coronation Street. <laughs> Griff warns her to keep her Asian nose out of his business. And then there's roles. Dee Dee is telling Arya about her old boss and how he was a bit of a racist and a bit of a sexist. And she called him out and she worried that she'd get fired, but instead she got a Rising Star Award. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to take risks, she says. And this inspires Arya to grasp Griff up to the first roofer guy. And when asked to give her name, she does so. Then Maria comes in to tell him that the council loved the donating gifts idea, but they ain't going to touch it because of the bad press. Maria didn't really understand it, so I presume she fucked up the pitch. Right, yeah. She said, we'll do it next year. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Next, we see Griffin's van getting a call from Tracy's first roof guy, Arnie. Remember Arnie? Because yes. he was going to be back. Griff says his socials are his business, but no fuck you very much, he's fired. Arnie may be an unreliable roofer with a history of mini strokes, but he's no racist. Fuming, Griff gets off the phone and on a spider to round up the gang. At the law office, Arya's admiring Didi's award when Griff comes in. It's just the two of them, and he's very threatening, wondering if Didi got her award for being the best black woman named Didi, although we find out their name's Diane. Yeah, Didi is obviously a nickname. Nobody names their baby Didi, do they? I don't know. <laughs> I genuinely thought that was her name. So it's the second D for then. I think it's just a nickname. Hmm. Spider sticks his head around the, the door, claiming to see if Griff needed backup if Adam was there. And this seems to save Arya from whatever Griff had planned. He tells her that she owes him. And Griff was not happy with Spider here. No. Back at Speedal, Arya is unsettled by all this, bu- all this business and is further spooked when she helps Yasmin unload the van and sees Griff and his racist group <laughs> hanging around outside the community garden. Yasmin tells Arya to keep her cool. And they're they're so hilariously stupid. I'm really liking racist Kelly's dad because he's just like so dumb. <laughs> and it's so funny. And there's an odd wee scene in the pub with him when he's thinking about starting up a splinter group because right Griff because gets nobody the- recogn- nobody recognizes me unless Griff's here. Right. Spider refuses to join his little yes. subgroup. Right, because that's not his job as a mm-hmm. as an undercover cop. So later, when Griff is on his own, Arya tells. Griff that if he threatens her at work again he'll regret it. He mocks her dead dad so she elbows him in the face bloodying his nose uh, and as <laughs> inserting Al- a packet of barbecue sauce up his nose <laughs> as Alia runs away Griff posts a live video claiming to have just sauce. been beaten up by four Muslim men. Ketchup it's ketchup. It was brown it was not ketchup. They've, they've moved on to HP sauce up the nose <laughs> Well, Maybe it because dark. it was night. It was dark. Yeah. It was nighttime, so they had to use mm. something brown. And it was at the community garden, so nobody saw this happen. No. And he says he's just seen the face of modern Islam. Mm. So on Friday, Yasmin is having a go at Alia about tumble drying when Yasmin and Homeless Stew notice the bruise on her elbow and they demand to know the cause. Meanwhile, Roy is asking Spider to leave Nina's roles, not because of his new racism, but because of a private party. Yes. In another storyline. Right. But also says also says to him, you know, you didn't used to be racist. Yep. Maybe go back to not being racist. Yep. Roy tells Spider that there was a time when he would have abhorred racism, but he will welcome Spider back later. And Spider is very touched by this and yes. thanks him. 
The Christmas market is booming. Griff walks by and Alia refuses to be intimidated, but Griff acts like Yasmin and Alia aren't even there. Mm-hmm. Alia thinks that being decked by a five foot two Muslim woman has given Griff pause, but Yasmin worries that he's up to something. And Griff meets up with Max and racist Kelly in the community garden and he spins the same story to them about the four Muslim guys beating them up. Griff needs Max's help. It's time to fight back. Then we see a bearded dev and a bearded Addy drop into speed dial. Yes, very, very sexy. Finding which one? Obviously dev. I'm not a pedophile. <laughs> Finding the crew out of sorts because of Griff. Yasmin and Homeless Stew say that Griff has been taught a lesson, but they're clearly uncomfortable and they don't tell the full story and it makes it sound like mm. they, they've ganged up and beat him up. Mm-hmm. Back at Racist HQ, Max has been working on his magnum opus video. It's Griff's speech from last night with footage of Racist Kelly running down the gunnel. Take our country back, please recycle. With echoing music. Griff is super impressed and gives the okay to upload it. And Max looks slightly uneasy by, by all this. Right, yeah, because it's not perfect yet. He wants to work on it Is some that more. why he's uneasy? It's not uneasy because right, of the message? Right, because, because he, says, he says to Griff, well, I'm not quite done with it. It's still a little, still a little raw. It looked awful. And Griff is like, no, we need to get this message out now. Before somebody else gets beaten up. Right. By Alia. The video gets posted to Speed Dial socials and is seen by Alia and Yasmin and, according to Max, 6,000 others. Right, it's it has gone viral. <laughs> sure. Max has worked out social media. Well, obviously it would go viral on Elon Musk's Twitter. <laughs> Elon Musk has retweeted. <laughs> Spider comes in and doesn't do a good job pretending to be impressed. Back at Speed Dial, Yasmin blames Aya for telling her that she should have just grinned and bared it because now she's stirred up racial hate. And I wasn't happy about that either. If you no. weren't happy about the Meneer Yeah, guy, this is all, you know, this whole, no, sometimes you just have to keep your nose down. And and it's 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 interesting because it's very, very different from what Didi was saying to her. And there seems to be like a generational thing here because because there was a point... Remember the other racism story? I was about to mention, yeah. You know, Ed. where initially Ed said, just you, you just got to keep your head down and, and do your work and, you know, let some of this stuff go until it got to a point where he couldn't let it go anymore. Right. It was very rem- reminiscent of that. Hmm. And Dev's, but despite it being reminiscent, it was something that I don't really want to hear from Yasmin because Yasmin no. is strong and not well, about to back down from from people. Well, she's slowly becoming that strong person again. I don't think she's quite there yet. I think she's getting there. And Dev's Alia is shopping when Addy comes in to reveal that he's been racially abused on the bus home and he was lucky to get away. And he said, I'm not even Muslim. The thug said that they were protecting the streets from Muslims and Alia shifts uneasily and then leaves them to it. Later, Dev and Addy turn up at Speed Dial's Christmas market stall for dinner and Alia explains about the video that Griff made after she elbowed the shitbag in the face. Dev and Addy are far more understanding than Yasmin about this. And Dev gives some some of his experiences. Mm-hmm. Which was s- good. Yep. It was nice. And when we see Max pass by, Alia asks Dev to look after the stall for a minute. And she goes to number eight and explains to Max what really happened. But Max, he isn't interested either. And he says that Griff is his friend. Friend, friend, racist friend. He closes, Not interested in facts, thank you. He closes the door in her face after calling her the real racist. <laughs> 
Meanwhile, at Racist HQ, Griff has some plans that he's speaking over with Spider. They need to take things up a notch after the momentum they've created thanks to Max's video. Something big is going to happen. It's race war. Yeah. And that's how we end this week's episodes. So race war next week. What is this guy? Charles Manson? <laughs> right. Or that guy, the Kool-Aid guy. What was his name? Marles Chanson? No, no. The one down in Oh, Columbia. Jim Jones. Yes. Yes. Both of them wanted a race war. Ironically, Jim Jones was like, we need to protect the black people from a race war. Mm-hmm. But it was also kind of paternalistic and racist the way he did it. And also he murdered lots of people. But... Um, Outside the, the, the purview of Coronation Street. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So hopefully Griff will not, you know, poison hundreds of people and shoot a senator but anyway i think i think we can be fairly sure that that's not going to happen (laughs) helen you can relax stand down helen relax are you growing tired of this Mm, not yet it's kind of exhausting to watch oh it's very exhausting to watch but you know so much of this stuff goes on in the real world and the, the message is not getting through to the people who need this message. I, I will say they are doing a very good job of doing this with a slow burn as opposed to, you know, Eric's alcoholism. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're doing this better than Eric's alcoholism. Right, yes. yes. You know. They're doing kebab guy better than they're doing Eric's alcoholism. Though. Right, because they are making Griff nuanced where where he's not being he's not necessarily being racist towards Ed because he's assuming incorrectly that oh God, Ed's that. not associated with immigrants. I saw that. It was like how well how can Griff be be racist if he's talking to Ed? Right. Because that's that's not how racism works. No. <laughs> I but, can't be racist. I have black friends. That's exactly what that is. <laughs> and if but if Ed was to have shortchanged Griff uh-huh. or if to give him a roof tape that wasn't sticky. Right. All of a sudden that'd have been that'd right. have been a race thing. Yeah. Oh, that that's typical of Ed. That's typical of people like black Ed. People, right? right, yeah. it just it's quite uncomfortable to watch and it and it just I don't like the idea of Addy getting racially profiled. That makes me really sad and anxious. For that poor child. But but I think it is very good that they're kind of bringing the Allahans and the Baileys into this mm-hmm. now, finally. Right. I think that is definitely good. Uh, it just, it, it, it feels like it's, it's, it's slowly crawling to this, to this like big, big event with like a bomb or something. Like I've been saying, when, racism's got to, they have to blow stuff up. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, on, on a daily basis, that's not what happens. It, it, it's, it's a slow burn and it gets good people in the crossfires and, and mm. losing custom and people like Maria getting bashed for stupid things and, and stuff and, and kind of goes out with a whimper. And, you know, to, to give them this sort of power that they can destroy things that it's so easy for them to make bombs and stuff. 
I don't I I don't know if that's necessarily the right message. I don't know. They have to amp it up a little bit because it is drama and it is fiction. Although it is reflecting aspects of mm-hmm. real life and society. I I think I think something incredibly violent is being planned because of the time of year right. where that is kind of right. heading towards something. You can't have Christmas without <laughs> death. Without a, a racist bomb going off. So I think that is still on the cards. There was nothing really this week that made me want to double down on the Griff as a paedophile thing. Right. But there was nothing to suggest otherwise. So I think that's still a possibility. Mm. So, but... And I still disagree, which is fine. That is fine. It's great when we disagree. It it makes it more interesting. Well, if we're good with everything, one of us isn't needed. Right. (gasps) So join in next week. (laughs) When I... No, I, I, I get what you mean. I get the, the people that you want to change their minds on this. Right. The the portion of that who are going to change their minds on it is probably very small. Mm-hmm. So it feels like it's an awful lot of effort spread over an awful lot of weeks mm-hmm. for fairly minimal return. Because mm-hmm. all it's really doing is proving that people who don't think like this, it's just making us feel... Well, right. we know this, right? right we know yeah. we know that, that this is how, right. how this kind of works. There is no argument compelling enough to make some people change their minds. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean to say that you can't try. Yeah, yeah, and and you're right. You should you should try. It's just and like I said, I I do feel like the show is doing a really good job, and it's not you know solving racism in a week like they right. did with the initial Bailey stories, right, and stuff. But, you know, it's and and in fairness, it's it's a very, very, very complicated thing. And it goes back. You know, this is this is not a new thing, racism and being xenophobic about immigrants and stuff. And uh, both both the United Kingdom and also this country are both would not be the countries they are today if people hadn't been oppressed in the early years of our of our country's existence. Neither country would exist as successfully as they do today without slavery. Right. You know, and imperialism and colonialism. Mm-hmm. So, and that's that's a really complicated thing and it makes people feel things and it makes people feel threatened about, you know, about their own selves and their and their place within that system, and sometimes that makes people just double down and, and dig in even deeper because they because acknowledging the truth hurts. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe we need more of this. Maybe we need more of these just kind of gentle reminders within popular culture that this is indeed the thing for for people to finally get more comfortable with it. I think. An awful lot can be said as far as homophobia and and misogyny with the fact that and and to a degree even already with race that the more members of the LGBTQIA community are not just acting in these things, but writing these things and directing these things and producing these things 
and are, you know, behind the scenes as well as in front of the scenes, the more people become comfortable with the idea that women, (laughs) women are just as smart and strong as men and gay people exist Mm -hmm. and it's not a choice. And, you know, your ideas about what people of color are, are wrong. There's a little show that started on the BBC in the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. called The Traitors. Yes. You may have heard me mention it. Once or twice. And you may have heard me whoop with delight at it. Yes. And I think it's a really good show and I think it works exceptionally well. And there are a number of reasons why it works exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. And one of those reasons is the diversity of the people that are involved in it. Mm-hmm. It's like you have a very... A very diverse cast of contestants Mm -hmm. that are airing their views about who is the traitors and and why they're the traitors and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I think the show would still be watchable. I don't think it would be as good without the diversity in in the the cast list of it. Uh I think the diversity adds something to it. And as a microcosm of society, I think it, it proves its point rather well Mm -hmm. and that's all i'm going to say about that okay so that was the week that was coronation street then what was your moment of the week oh gosh is it amy and jacob's faces when they find out that not only is summer not pregnant anymore but she and aaron have been lying to esther and mike i'm more inclined down the the hope sam and joseph route their seance? I thought the seance was pretty funny. <laughs> the refaces. B, it's a sign for biscuits. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty funny. All yeah, right. That was good. Yeah. So seances are... Junior seance is our... Moment of the week. Your boring um, moment of the week. Moment of the week. Uh, boring moment of the week. Is it... Is it Ken talking about experimental theater no because look in his face it's just so funny is it is it mary trying to explain to brian what experimental theater is no, yeah, even though they just funny. watched it that was kind of funny and that was also kind of one of the things that makes me think that they're trying to nudge brian and mary together was it the roof tape <sighs> the handing over of the roof tape no it was uh homeless you buying two Toy cars, that's what it was. Oh my god, that was ridiculous. I forgot all about that. Oh, oh, I was late getting her to school because I stopped to buy two toy cars. Even I wouldn't do that. You would totally do that. But the <laughs> toy cars, I hope the toy toy cars are going to become important at some point. Wasn't but one like a car that... There were two Capris. There were two Mark III Capris, I think. Homeless Stu had when yeah, he was younger because and was also involved in a movie or something. Baby blue eyes, yep. Yeah. Professionals, I think. Looking like a professional seaman. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Yes. That's it. Boring moment of the week. So now we would normally wrap this up, but but now we have time for my interview with uh, Corey Fan and blogger Darren Hilbert, who a lot of our listeners will be familiar with on, on Twitter and his Easty Oaks blog. Fair warning, there's nothing in the way of spoilers, but there is a minor teaser for a Christmas episode, so if you prefer not to know anything, stop listening now. And if you're still here, sit back and enjoy something of a rarity. It's a different voice on our podcast. 
So I'm joined today by Dan Hilbert, as many of you will know. He runs the Easty Oaks Twitter account, which I think we've been following for about five years now, and also the eastyoaks.com blog, which covers news and spoilers from Corey, Emmerdale, Hollyoaks, EastEnders, but also the regional soaps, which I really like, covers River City, Pobo Blackoom and Rose Naroon as well, which is which is lovely that you do that. So welcome to the Talk of the Street, Darren. It's good to be here. It's fantastic to have you. As I was saying just before we started recording, I think you are maybe the fifth or sixth different voice that we've had on the podcast that isn't either mine or Helen's, which is, I think, thanks to our crippling social anxiety, which seems to be maintaining a constant one per year, which is nice. But we are very pleased to to welcome you on. Happy to talk about anything. Always, always got the gossip, mate. <laughs> well, that's why you're here. Now, before we get started on it, I'm just curious to know from your point of view what have been the the pick of the storylines so far this year. What's been what's been getting you excited? Well, uh, one of the um, well, Stephen's comeback that mm-hmm. that was a big talking point for right. for a lot of people. But they kind of from social media's reaction, they've kind of gone off him a bit because he's come back. We don't really know much about him except he owed his wife a load of money right. and then he killed Leo pretty much <laughs> within a couple of weeks coming back. There wasn't any enthusiasm around him because he's come back and he's been he's become this nasty killer in a very short space of time. Yeah, he has been very desperate. I, we were just talking about this in the podcast last week. How we've kind of forgotten that he's killed Leo. Yeah, and from um, from the reactions, there's a lot of fans that are worried. Like, will he kill again? What's what's kind of coming up from there? Yeah, they love a serial killer, don't they? Yeah, and and for those that aren't long time viewers, like Stephen's been in it before, like ten, fifteen years ago, I think he was around. Yep, and then he he come back because he he went off to Milan. That's right. I think he was with Sarah at one point yep. in Milan, and then like no, no one mentioned him for for a long time. He he come back and he kind of created havoc. But it's always a <laughs> way with killers. People people will I don't know the best way to describe it. They will kind of think he's a bad man, but then they won't pick up on his killer ways until it's mm-hmm. too late. And then someone else will end up getting arrested for his crime. Oh, absolutely. Right. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of at the bit of the storyline now where there's just little bits of his um, his actions are getting dripped into other people's heads. So Gail knows a little bit about something and Audrey knows a little bit about something and Sarah knows a little bit about something, but nobody knows the whole picture. But it's all starting to... to um, the picture's starting to get put together I think for some of the people and this is a bit that I really like because his reactions now are becoming more and more desperate as he tells lie upon lie upon lie to cover himself so this is this is prime Coronation Street stuff as far as I'm concerned yeah and from Jenny and I think Leo's dad Teddy right. they're starting to get a bit suspicious with what with his disappearance so there's probably more to come from that. And we'll, well, the fact that he, he buried Leo, so that's a secret that's got to be uncovered <laughs> at some point. Yeah, there was that scene, wasn't there, at the petrochemical plant or wherever it was where we saw him burning his clothes, but I don't think we have any idea where 
poor old sinkhole Leo's remains have wound up. No, and everything gets uncovered at some point. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. So I think the big news from uh, from the last week or so, I think if you've been following anything about Coronation Street, you'll it'll be impossible to have missed the story about the the new precinct set that was revealed last week, which I think was announced back in March or April or something like that. It was it was a while ago that they first mentioned it, and I've been kind of wondering about it ever since. I wondered if they'd forgotten that it was going to happen, but it was announced last week and Darren, you were there. Yeah, um, that that came about quite by shock when I sent <laughs> the email because I, I totally forgot all about it, to be honest, until a couple of weeks ago. Yes, help set the scene for us. What happened What happened in the lead up to that? How, how did this all come about? Well, um, back in March, as the listeners will know, um, Coronation Street announced that they were building a new set onto the exterior of what they've already got right. in Manchester. And they've obviously Weatherfield precinct's been mentioned for a number of years now. Mm-hmm. And next it's located next to Weatherfield Police Station. So on that, the set. So that's where it is in the geography of the of the new set then. Because I, I saw some sign in the background of one photograph or another that, that had the the, the Weatherfield Police Station sign, so I thought it was somewhere nearby. Yeah, but in, in the low in the in on the map of Weatherfield, it's quite far away, I believe. Yeah, it, it it wasn't a case that anyone could just turn up to see this, was it? No, they sent out an invite to social media influencers, bloggers, and the national press. Right, and I happened to be on the list of people. Very good. Invited, which was quite something because I hadn't travelled that far before. Where are you based at the moment? I'm I'm in Kent, so this was over two hundred miles away. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, I I, I, I and a half hours of travelling. Yeah, well, I know what that's all all about. We we travel back to the east coast of the US every Christmas, and that's a twelve hour drive. So I I know I know what you speak about in it. It isn't an awful lot of fun, but I, I yeah. guess you had, was it the train or something you managed to get? Uh, train, coach, then two trams. <laughs> Planes, trains and automobiles to get to the quarry set. Fantastic. So, yeah. so tell us a bit about it then. What was it like? What was the day like for you? Um, got there about quarter to, quarter to 12 and we met the press officer. She was she invited us in and took all, took down all our details. Right. And it was we were based in the police station set where everyone was gathering, <laughs> and a small group of people turned into a large group of people very quickly. Right, and it, it was overwhelming because there was me surrounded by people whose work I've been reading for years. <laughs> I bet. Oh, yeah, that's like, amazing. Met, yeah, meeting Duncan from the Metro. Yep. I met digital spy writers. I met. I met the ex-editor of the Inside Soap magazine. He was there. Wow. So this this was quite overwhelming <laughs> as a fan of these people to suddenly see them in person when I've only ever re- read their work. Right. Yeah, because you're blogging away, doing doing your thing, and, and it, writing's always quite, a, it's quite an isolating activity, right? You can do it on 
you don't have to really contact really anybody if you don't if you don't need to or you don't want to. So I can imagine just getting thrown in front of all these names and faces that you recognise from social media and different blogs must be must have been quite the the staggering moment. It was walking walking through the gates because as I, as I said, I, like with the corridor, it's such a long way from me. I've I've never done that before. Right. So walking through those gates for the first time and then walking into this area that I've watched for thirty years on telly, <laughs> it, it it was quite a moment. So this is, this was your first time on the Cory set as well, right? Yeah, the first time ever on a soap set. Oh wow! So you've got the excitement of that which is you know like you said you're seeing things that you've seen on tv for as, as long as you can remember throw into the mix the fact that there's some of the cast there and throw into the mix as well there's all these names and faces from like journalism and and uh, websites and stuff this is just this has got overwhelming written all over it <laughs> yeah it, it was very nerve-wracking because <laughs> one of the things that i've had on my to-do list for a long time is i've wanted the chance to do an interview with someone right like a proper it's like one-on-one interview but because i'm like low down on the list of priorities when it comes to working and speaking with soap stars i've never had the opportunity i've never had the chance to do like a one-on-one interview right so i spoke to harriet bibby that plays summer oh fantastic that's and amazing and that was just incredible, speaking to someone that I, I watch on TV like every day of the week. <laughs> right, and someone that's so involved in the in the current batch of storylines as well. Yeah. So that's a pretty much a a, a very much sought after interview that you got with her. Then was that arranged beforehand, or did, was that something you just managed to to work out on the day? I, I spoke to the press officer on the day because Harriet was amongst the cast that were unveiling the Weatherfield precinct. Right. So I managed to grab a few minutes with her and put my questions to her. Oh, superb. That's excellent. Oh, good for you. So um, I was going to ask if you managed to get a chance to speak with uh, any other members of the cast and any other the, the Corey content creators. You mentioned you mentioned Duncan there. Was there, was there much opportunity to mingle with, with the great and the good? I, I, I spoke to him a few times throughout the day. He, he was doing his work, getting interviews and getting all the gossip from the Metro. Right. Um, I was with the Corrie Street blog team. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, Sophie and Ryan, because they, they've been to the set before, so they knew what was what and how these things work. Right. So they, they, were, they were an invaluable help. Oh, that's fantastic. So I, I shadowed them for much of the day. I guess stuff. Yeah, we... Um... We read a lot from from Sophie and, and Ryan as well, and I think you, it's much like yourself. You see the same names over and over again. You, you kind of feel like you know people after a while, even though you've never met them before. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've spoken to Ryan a few times, and I, I've seen him on Zoom events that Corey have done. Right, but I've never had the opportunity to meet these people in person. Excellent. Well, that sounds like quite the day. Yeah, and they've got there's so much coming up from them over on their site and over the next month whatever over the period of coming up in Corrie there is so much going on well that's a, a beautiful segue Darren it's like you've done this before where we can start talking maybe a little bit about the some of the events that are going to be upcoming on Coronation Street 
in the, the weeks to come. Obviously, we are now in December, so we've got Christmas coming up. And I think the last couple of Christmases and the batch of storylines that we've had for the last couple of years, probably thanks to, to COVID for a lot, of, a lot of reasons, they've all been, or they've both been rather uh, maybe kind of sedate in comparison to some other years, kind of harking back to the old Corey Christmases of old. Like last year we had Billy playing a piano in the cobbles and we had the Platts. Bistro Christmas being a bit of a wipeout and Tyrone and Phil with two L's were fighting on the street. And then the year before that, we had David and Shona reenacting their wedding day. Leanne was hiding away after the death of Oliver. And I think the some of the comedy was coming from Lily inhaling jewellery. So given that the world is pretty much back to business as usual, Dan, I'm guessing that we're in for something a bit more a bit more exciting this year. Well, Ian at the press event, he didn't give away much, but he did tease that there's lots of comedy, wolf and family fun oh, good. Um, this Christmas. Um, he, he mentioned the Gary and Shona drama from a couple of years ago when they went a bit diehard, as he put it. <laughs> yes, when, when so Shona got a brain injury from being shot in the stomach, yeah. Yeah, and Shona is obviously, because Julie, Julie's gone off on maternity leave, so she's obviously right. going to be going soon. Yep. But this, this Christmas, fun, warmth and very family-oriented. How do you feel about that? I mean, I think for from our point of view, Helen and I are, are both kind of we we far prefer no guns and hopefully no explosions and nobody dying. I think the the soaps, not just Coronation Street. I think the the mistake sometimes, uh, you know, the high octane thriller gangster type thing has been something that people want to maybe appreciate over Christmas. But as far as as far as we're concerned, the the old Coronation Street Christmases uh, from from the past are, are probably something that we probably enjoy a little bit more. What about yourself? Yeah, I mean we get so much drama throughout the year with death, misery and shootings. Right. I'm not saying don't have something going on at Christmas, but when you're sitting down to have your Christmas dinner or whatever, or you're tuning in front of the TV, the last thing you want on Christmas Day is to watch someone getting shot every year. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's pretty much our, our standpoint as well. So. <laughs> because after a while it comes to it, because if it keeps happening at Christmas, it's no different to the storylines you get over the rest of the year. Right. Yeah, and I think they kind of this kind of drip feed that a little bit. We, we get maybe something over Britain's Got Talent Week or, you know, we got the... Um, the Halloween stuff this year where the whole week was pretty much dedicated to, to Kelly leaving and we didn't know if anyone was going to be falling off that wall or falling off that roof or whatever. So it's it's something of a, um, of a relief then to hear that maybe we're getting something that's maybe a little bit more character driven, a little bit more family orientated, as you said. That, that, I mean, that, sounds, that sounds like pretty much the ideal Christmas Corey for me. Yeah, less is more sometimes, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. So was there anything specifically that you, you managed to hear about or anything that you, you think's coming up? Well, there's something coming up in the new year. I can't I can't talk about it because I'm good. I, I, I'll tease you about giving anything away. There's drama for three people that I know of mm-hmm. and it involves guns. <laughs> oh, well. Well, we can't I won't have it. Say, I won't say why and I won't say where, right. but there is 
some drama coming up for three people involving guns. Well, we will we will heave a sigh of relief when when we find out who that is then. When we spoke to Ian, he was very excited because um, you've got the Tyrone and Fizz wedding coming up. Yep. And there's a whole will they won't they get hitched because she doesn't know that he's planning this surprise wedding. So she's got ideas to go off and do things. All right. And then he finds that she's not around. And there's a whole will they won't they get married over Christmas. I, I, I hope they do because Fizz, Fizz and Tyrone have been through so much. They really have. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're such a loved couple. Yeah, we were looking back at them like 20 years ago in classic Corey at the moment when they were both, you know, much, much younger and they've both been through so much since then. And I think as a as a pair, as a couple, they've probably earned that that wedding. <laughs> they've probably earned that wedding scene more than more than most have. So I look forward to seeing, seeing if that's going to happen. I think, or I have been speculating for a while that, you know, we left Alina what the start of the year or earlier on in the year and I was wondering if she had a she was making a beeline for a, a Christmas return perhaps with with a baby in tow now I, I don't know if you know anything about that or if you can say anything about that but that was I, I, I don't know anything but I, I reckon that at some point this is purely speculation I reckon at some point Alina will come back she's got to right She's got yeah, to. she she her her exit was far too quick and easy mm-hmm. for there not to be more to her at some point in the future. Yeah, and remember she had that little scene in the in the airport where she was looking down at her belly and had her hand on her belly, just not saying anything, but kind of suggesting that there was maybe maybe Tyrone's baby was in there after all. So who knows? Yeah. Who knows? It wouldn't surprise me. No, we love the Corey comeback though. <laughs> Absolutely right. Listen, Dan, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you so much for uh, for your time on this on this. Well, it's a Sunday afternoon for me. It's a Sunday evening for you. So um, we really we really appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing your your tale from the the precinct and those little teasers from Christmas. I don't think we gave too much away. I don't think too much could be deemed as a spoiler out of that. So no, I'm, I'm very careful about what I say. <laughs> you did a good job. In, I'm very impressed. Spoil, but in, enough to ruin. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks again, Dan. Thank you so much. You're always welcome. Cheers. Well, wasn't that lovely? Yes, it was. Yeah, it's just nice to get another another voice on the podcast. We do this quite infrequently, as anyone who listens to us yes. knows. But it was nice to we, we prefer to we, we keep pref- ourselves to ourselves. Yes. <laughs> it was nice to mix it up a little bit. I hope we can we can do that with Dan and others in the future. Yes, by all means. Variety is the, the spice of life. So we've taken up quite enough of your time now. So if you want to drop us a line, you can get us at uh, we're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for please. links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode, and we will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. The Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio.